Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Chickity Chat. My name is Curtis and I'll be your host today. First off, I just wanted to thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and most importantly, tell your friend about the podcast. I'm trying to get the word out there. I didn't get enough podcasts out right away to become new and noteworthy on any of the platforms. So this prevented the early expansion of this podcast. So I'm doing it the old-fashioned way, just marketing it. And the best way to market a podcast is just word of mouth. So if you know anybody who might be interested in getting into backyard bird feeding or just birds in general, whether they're an expert or a beginner, it really doesn't matter. For an expert, the beginning stages of this podcast might be a little bit boring as it is, you know, somewhat basic stuff. However, um, we'll be getting into some more um, expert stuff and just bird knowledge in general. Once I get through sort of my basic over overall plan to sort of teach the backyard birding basics and bird basics overall, I do eventually want to get some guests on and also want to get some uh, contests running, contests through Instagram, contests through the podcast, uh, giveaways, some gift cards, some merch, stuff like that. So please tell a friend and um, subscribe and keep supporting the podcast. I really do appreciate every single one of you. So, and the and please apologize for my voice. I'm sort of going through a bit of a uh, medical issue that's causing my voice to go quite hoarse, and uh, it, it doesn't make for long talking sessions to be super easy. But I'm just sort of powering through it, so hopefully it doesn't make for too bad of a listening experience. So in the last episode, we went over sort of a a backyard birding habitat in a little bit more detail, and. I think that was a pretty good foundation for for setting up your perfect backyard habitat, not only creating an attractive and enjoyable experience for both you and the birds, but a safe one as well. So today I want to go over sort of how we can divide the visitors of your yard into different sections. And those sections are year-round visitors, seasonal visitors, your regular migrants, and your spring and fall migration visitors. So um, <clears throat> one of the biggest pieces of excitement for me when it comes to backyard bird feeding are both the expected and unexpected visitors. Now, I am a big lover of my year-round visitors. To some people, there may be some of the more boring birds, you might call them. So in my instance, my regular visitors are... Um, I got Eurasian collared doves. Most people have those everywhere in North America anyhow. I got house sparrows, house finches, European starlings, northern flickers, uh, Eurasian, or sorry, black-billed magpies. And um, some people don't really care so much for those. Um, Also crows. But when I really did fall in love with these birds was the first winter together. So in... In my area, there were plenty of times last year where we were below minus 25 Celsius, blowing snow, you know, two and a half feet of snow. And in these birds, there were times where they really did rely on me. And I really, really, really appreciated having them around because that time of the year when there's not a lot going on, um, you know, life, life can get a little bit dark in the winter both figuratively and literally and having those birds around for the joy is 
is really, really important for me. And one thing that really stood out to me was how hardy these birds are. It didn't matter how bad the weather got, the constant harassment by hawks, the climate, the environment, just just literally every day was a struggle for these birds. And and it just it just really, really gave me a new perspective on how hardy birds are and how appreciative I am of the birds that do stick around. And it 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 really did change my feeling about feeding birds and uh and and really made me feel like I was I was doing something good for them. Not only did I did I look after my uh my yard visitors in the winter, but we have a local park here and we had some mallards and uh, geese, Canadian geese, geese that st- stuck around for the winter and they were really having a hard time this year. So I spent a lot of money um, just buying sunflower seeds and, and peanuts for these things to sort of help them through the really hard times. More money than I had at the time, but it just broke my heart seeing them. They had so much ice dripping off of them that they couldn't even move their wings. So I really, really do appreciate my year-round visitors. And, um, you know, it's it's really important for us as bird feeders to, to take care of these birds and that don't decide to migrate. Now, you might wonder why why don't these birds migrate? And the reason is, is migration is incredibly risky. And a high percentage of birds that do decide to migrate don't make it through the journey, whether it's going back to their winter migration point or coming back to their summer point. There's the amount of things that, that are at risk for their life. Some birds that are able to adapt, stay warm, and keep a food supply during the winter, it's simply just easier for them to stay and gives them a higher chance of survival. So, <clears throat> I apologize for the clearing the throat. The next, the next um, type of birds that we have are seasonal birds. So, they're the birds that migrate between a distinct summer and winter home. Um, in my in my experience here. In the winter, so pretty much as soon as October hits, the juncos start coming into my yard. And they are one of the most enjoyable parts of my entire winter. Watching those things jump around, they're incredibly cute. They have a great personality, and they really do come in the droves. And I I appreciate feeding them all year. So pretty much when it comes to the seasonal uh, visitors, as soon as the juncos leave in the spring, and the juncos, they go into the mountain areas. They go into the western mountains, and they go into Canadian forests. So they actually don't go very far from here. I can travel about 30 minutes outside of town here and head straight into the forest, and I can find juncos pretty much year-round. But they go into the forest areas to nest. So when they're done nesting and they're and it starts turning into winter, they go come back to the backyards and they'll sort of really dissipate all over the place. Uh, whether you're northwest, east, south, it, it really doesn't matter. The juncos will most likely find you. And when they do leave in the spring, that's when the hummingbirds arrive. So 
pretty much a direct correlation between when the hummingbirds arrive and the juncos leave. And the same thing in late summer, early fall, when the hummingbirds leave, the juncos show up. So it's sort of, you know, I, I always am saddened when the juncos leave because they are so cute. And they, at first when they leave, the yard can feel very quiet. Um, but it is nice to see those hummingbirds and they're one of my favorites and I think they're, they're most people's favorite birds and uh, they, they bring a lot of joy, energy and excitement to the, uh, to the yard. And uh, one, one part in my, in my area, um, I don't see song sparrows all nesting season so I do get the song sparrows. They usually live and roost in my yard. Um, they, I've got some under, undercover areas that stays free of snow, um, and they, <laughs> it never fails me. If I go out to the backyard feeder at any time of the day, the junco will pop out, or sorry, the uh, song sparrow will pop out, and uh, it's really, really enjoyable to just hang out with the song sparrows in the winter, but I haven't seen them for a few months, and I'm already missing them. Some species, when it comes to seasonal travel, they only will travel as far south um, as they need to to meet their habitat needs so it depends on where the nesting season is um if if a bird's far north and there's a short food supply they'll just travel far enough south so that either the weather matches their needs or they find a food supply and that's usually good enough for them so it's not a perfect science for all birds whether they do migrate and uh, don't and even some birds that are seasonal migrants, the odd one will stay. It won't migrate at all. So um, it, it, sort of, it sort of is always something to keep an eye on. And that's one of the great things about um, the uh, citizen science projects like um, Project Feeder Watch is in the wintertime when you're tracking the birds in your yard, you're really helping scientists um, keep track of different uh, birds' migratory uh, progress, I suppose you could say. So the next one, we've gone over our year-round visitors and our seasonal visitors. Um, the next one is irregular migrants. So irregular migrants is an interesting thing where birds that don't always migrate sometimes will migrate migrate and the greatest example in north america of this are the winter finches the winter finches are purple finches cassin's finches and both the common and hoary red poles now oh and uh, also evening and pine grosbeaks and uh, might as well throw in the white-winged and red crossbills now they <coughs> i apologize again they breed in Canada forests and they only travel south when their food supply becomes short. Now, these birds, um, these birds, so the common red poles, they, they tend to do this at roughly every two to three years and sometimes multiple species, so either all or a good variety of the species I list, um, will, will also travel south at the same time. And this really depends on their food um, supply. So the, the um, 
the red poles feed off spruce and birch and basically they uh they like to get into the pine cone seeds and they like to live off those but every other year spruce and birch have poor um poor crops every single every odd year so in this case these birds do need to uh, travel south to get a bit of um a better food supply and this is really good for uh backyard bird feeders because these birds do supplement their their feed on people's um feeders so they really love niger seed and they really love sunflower chips so if you wonder why you only get um common red poles or evening gross beaks or um cassin's finches in your yard and you live in the south more southern southern of canada and you wonder why these things only appear every two three maybe even five years it's because it totally depends on the food supply up north and with some trees like i said with the birch and the uh, spruce sometimes they just they bear poor crops and um, these birds have to travel south so these are your um your sort of irregular migrants so to sort of summarize that they don't migrate unless the food supply makes them migrate so they'll stay north they don't care about the cold they can get through the the winter season no problem but one thing they cannot go without is the food <clears throat> so that pretty much goes over our regular migrants now with the hoary um uh red poles are interesting because they actually have adapted to stay quite above quite well above the uh, arctic circle which means they've gotten used to actually foraging in the dark and um so these these birds won't come south as often as the common red poles unless the food supply is really really bad so if you live in the south, you're probably not seeing those as much. And if you are, you're incredibly lucky and you must be putting out some good bird food. Now the next the next um, one we're going to go into is the spring and fall migrants. Now these are birds that pass through yards between their summer and winter homes. So your yard isn't in the area where they nest, but it is along the way. And for me, the biggest example of this are the white crown sparrows. Now, this year we had white crown sparrows up the yin yang. I could not believe how many white crown sparrows used my yard as their uh, in between point. It was at first it was amazing. It started out with uh, I don't know three or four white crown sparrows, and they were singing like crazy, and I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And then it turned into twenty, and I was like, okay. These things are eating a little bit of food and then next thing you know I had 71 white crown sparrows in my yard for two and a half weeks I had five feeders going including two trays uh, a foundational feeder two finch feeders and these things were emptying five trays three times a day I was and and just just to sort of uh, put the cherry on top of the cake, the company I bought bird seed here in town pretty much said, eh, COVID-19, we're not selling bird feed anymore, and they never got any more back. So I was scrambling for bird seed, and these things were just destroying my bird feeders. And my, my year-round visitors, like my finches and my, my sparrows and my doves who 
were just sort of getting into their nesting period were a little bit rattled because they couldn't they couldn't get onto a feeder at any point because these things they they swarm my yard like a like a locust infection it was unbelievable but man did their songs ever ever bring a lot of uh great sound to my yard for for a few weeks so that was that was quite nice so Scientists do emphasize that food supply at these stopover locations on their migration are incredibly important. It's sort of like if you were uh, in Washington State and you were driving to Florida and you wouldn't you wouldn't fill your gas tank and drive all the way. No, you got to stop and fill up the gas tank multiple times along the way and and if these migrant birds do stop in your yard, you are an important part of their journey. And if your yard isn't there or there's no one's yard around where these things can feed on on their stopover, that's that's just one thing, one more thing making it a little more unlikely that they're going to make it to their nesting location or their winter location alive. So really feel good when these when these birds use your yard as a stopover that you're doing something extra good and you're you're an important part of their story. And um, you're an important part of making sure that these bird populations stay happy and healthy. And um, one thing to realize that when these birds do migrate from their winter homes to their summer homes, depending on where they're going, these trips can last weeks. So it just sort of increases the emphasis of how important these feeder stations are when they do stop over. Um, Different species that you can expect to stop over in your yard, depending on where you are, of course, is uh, species like rose-breasted grosbeaks, white-crowned sparrows that I mentioned, and golden-crowned kinglets. They'll come right to your feeders and they'll they'll eat up. Whether you got sunflowers in in the white-crowned space in the white-crowned sparrows case, I mean, I I could have been feeding them lead and they would have they would have demolished it. They just they didn't care if I had crappy bird food, good bird food, they just ate everything. The weirdest part about them is I also was feeding them, um, I did have to get some sort of crappy bird mix because I ran out and there was just nowhere in town that I could get anything quality. So I bought these mixes that had striped sunflower seeds in them and, and the birds typically, they just throw those things on the ground and don't care about them. These things not only were eating those, but there wasn't even a shell left over. So I don't know if they were eating the shell too. It was I'd never seen it. I'd I'd fill a whole tray with about a half an inch deep layer of seeds and seeds, nuts, and sunflower seeds. And I'd go back out three hours later and there wasn't a shell on that tray. So I don't know if they just eat everything. It, it was quite uh quite interesting. And one other thing about those white crowned sparrows is they were clumsy as hell. They constantly flew into the windows. They'd go up onto my deck that has glass and I have stickers all over my windows and deck windows so the birds don't fly into them and I never have an issue but these things would just constantly get stuck on them and I don't know they were just they were something different um and other birds like warblers and and bug eating insects that stop over they will come to your yard and use your trees they're they're sort of curious they see other birds they'll come to your yard so in my instance I had uh, yellow rumped warblers for about two weeks same same period I had the white grounds and they just ate every insect in my yard the whole time and I really did appreciate that it's my first year I've had yellow rump warblers and I wish they stayed a little longer but 
it was nice seeing them for the two, three weeks that they were here. And um, one thing, if you do, if you do want to entice these bug-eating uh, migrant um, birds that stop over in your yard, a tray of mealworms or bark butter will entice these things and uh, be a really nice snack high in protein and fat for these uh, birds that do stop over on their long trip. So those are the, um, those are the sort of four sub subdivisions. I don't know. Those are the four sort of main types of residents that you're going to find in your yard. And for me, like I said, the year round visitors are the Maybe not the most exciting, but the birds that I appreciate and love the most. The the it's it's tough for me. The seasonal residents that do come and nest in the area, they're pretty exciting. I've got violet green swallows, tree swallows, and they're great. Um, and then of course the 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 dropover ones that only come by for a couple weeks at a time. They're they're pretty exciting. So so depending on, you know, whether you are looking for pure excitement or just simply the um, company of your year-round residents, I guess that will change on how many uh, or which are your favorite, but that doesn't really matter. And a lot of places, like we don't have uh, cardinals around here, but if you live in an area that does have a cardinals, there's a good chance that you've got those things all year. And I wish I did because they are beautiful, beautiful birds. I was over in Indiana um, not too long ago on a business trip in January and uh, it was the first time that I got to see cardinals and actually morning doves and a couple other funny it was it was right in the middle of winter and wow those are those are beautiful birds and I am jealous we have sort of our own versions of the cardinals we've got stellars jays and uh, sort of a different thing but black-billed magpies and they're exciting too but but man those bright red cardinals they are just amazing so leading back into the the um, migration question of earlier why do some birds migrate and why do some not now like I said some birds have found the ability to stay warm enough and find food in the winter and this gives them a great advantage because not only do they have to put themselves through the risk of migration, which puts them at a high likelihood of not making it and dying, but they actually get to stay north and get first dibs to the nesting sites. So the birds that have adapted to be able to stay warm and, and keep a food supply, they have a great advantage, um, not only for staying alive, but getting the best nesting sites and the best probability of um, not only getting uh, a successful um, nesting season done, but possibly multiple broods as well, depending on how early they start. So some birds, they simply just can't do this. A uh, good, good example of these are really any sort of swallows. So the swallows live off primarily insects. 80% of their diet is insects, and the other 20% of their diet is mostly berries. So I think in the tree swallows cases, it's bayberries. So in the winter, they can live off just bayberries and no insects, but the problem is is finding a consistent supply of bayberries, especially when you're competing with starlings, waxwings, and other flocking birds like robins, um, it's not, not reliable. And most of the insects they do catch are in the air. So 
these birds pretty much before the first frost kills all the insects off they get down to their uh their winter nest no sorry not nesting their winter locations where they can still find a good supply of either insects or um where they know there's going to be a high supply of bayberries that they can feed on hummingbirds are more extreme examples of this so you may notice hummingbirds are quite aggressive at feeders and sometimes flowers and this is due to the high stakes in uh, keeping these things alive so pretty much at any given time a hummingbird can be hours away from starvation you, as you know, might know they they have uh, their wings do beat at uh, 80 beats per per second I believe it is and um, this and they're so small so they they really do need a constant supply of nectar to stay alive so in the west coast here when we get our hummingbirds they do a pretty pretty uh, clockwork um, migration schedule which is to me pretty amazing some of these things are, are so small and they travel from Mexico up the coast of California through Oregon Washington up the coast of British Columbia which is ginormous and into Alaska at times where they nest and then they fly down the Rockies all all in time with when the flowers are blooming so that they can get back to their uh, or summer winter locations in Mexico it's it's pretty amazing to me so anyways you might find like I was saying these hummingbirds may be really aggressive at your feeders and they need that feed to survive and the stakes are so high that they will do anything to keep any other hummingbirds off those feeders so that they can stay alive like I said at any given time they're moments away from starvation so some birds simply don't have a choice to migrate now I'm in sort of northern Canada, but a few hours uh, south of me is Vancouver, so the coastal region of British Columbia. And a lot of people have bought um, hummingbird heaters to keep it. It doesn't get super cold. It usually hangs around like plus two Celsius, so not quite freezing. And in the winter, it's usually rainy and mild. But people are able to put um, hummingbird heaters in their feeders, and a lot of hummingbirds down on the coast, they actually will stay year-round. So they, they don't even bother with the migration because they've, they've sort of adapted to find and rely on a, year, a, a supply of food year-round. Now, if you do decide you're in an area where these hummingbirds don't migrate and they do stay and they rely off your food, it is really important that you have that feeder up all year long or the hummingbirds that do stay, they're gone. They will die as soon as you take away their food. If there's no one else feeding them and you're the only one and they're staying because of you and you stop feeding them, that's pretty much it for them. So that's something really important to keep in mind. If you're going to be feeding hummingbirds through the winter because they decide to stay, don't, uh, don't slack off. You better be committed to doing that every day for the whole winter. Now, some birds only do a partial migration. So... As I mentioned earlier, some birds will only travel as far as they need to, and that depends on their f uh, food supply and snow cover. So the far north robins and um, eastern bluebirds, sometimes they will, um, sometimes they will be way up northern Canada, and they can stay up there. But some winters it's too cold. There's no food, and the snow cover is too extreme. 
So what they'll do is they'll just travel a little bit south until the snow is not as bad and they find some food. So a lot of the time these species um, are very, are very <laughs> they depend on barren berries. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. So the they will sometimes in 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 my area specifically we get um bohemian waxwings uh european starlings and um american robins they will fly around in flocks now the robins around here are usually in about a flock of maybe 50 60 the starlings they'll flock around in hundreds and the bohemian waxwings will flock around in thousands and we have a lot of juniper um, bushes that have juniper berries and a lot of mountain ash trees that have the mountain ash berries and these things will fly around in flocks all winter almost like clockwork and they will go from bush to bush to bush to bush to tree to tree and they will find every berry in this town and by spring there's barely a berry left it's it's quite amazing to watch and um, that's pretty much how these species that don't travel south in the winter survive and um They've gotten really good at knowing where the things are, finding them with their aerial sight, and uh, it's it's pretty pretty amazing stuff to watch. Um, for the keeping the birds alive in the winter, food supply is a more crucial um, issue than temperatures themselves. So, birds have learn to roost and adapt in ways that they can stay warm even in really frigid temperatures they're they're not likely to freeze and die what's really really important for them is food supply if there's no food they they won't live and it's it's as simple as that now if they're able to store up enough fat to travel down south to where they can find a food supply then they'll be okay but but for the birds that do stay north in the winter because they they feel that they have a consistent food supply or maybe Maybe some sort of, uh, they have some sort of disability, maybe a, a hurt wing, or they're just not, they're just not in a position to fly um, south for the migration season, and they do have to stick around. That's where us as bird feeders really, really, really come into play here, and, and, and we can save these birds and really make their horrible winter a little better, and when you hear their songs come back up in the spring, you, you really... You really can hear the appreciation in them, and uh, and for the amount of joy they give us bird feeders and bird watchers, it's it's worth every every dollar and every minute spent doing this uh, amazing hobby. Now, the last thing I just want to quickly go over, um, now that we've sort of gone over the uh, different types of uh, residents that we do have in our yard. One last question I just sort of wanted to answer is is how exactly do birds find our feeders now? This depends on the type of bird, but uh, the, the, the vast majority of birds find their feeders with sight. Now, a lot of, a lot of cheap uh, bird feed packaging will, will say they've added a berry smell to attract more birds, and this is almost completely nonsense. Um, robins, yeah, now some, some birds do listen for their food. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, you'll see a robin going through a yard and it will sort of put its ear down towards the ground and it sounds like, it looks like it's listening for a worm, but it's really just getting a closer look. So most songbirds use their sight 
exclusively for um for hunting and if you want to attract birds to your yard putting things in your yard so either feeders flowers water stations the things that i've mentioned are all going to be things that these songbirds are going to see and come to your yard woodpeckers however they actually listen for bugs under the wood so they'll they'll cling on to a tree and they can well actually listen to the tree to hear if uh if uh, bugs are crawling under the wood which is pretty cool and another example of birds using their senses are shorebirds sorry shorebirds what they do is they search by feel and they use their feet under the water to actually feel for uh, fish and then they go down and get their uh, get their food that way so there's only a few birds and uh, one example of these birds are the carrion eating vultures and they use smell so if you are looking to attract different types of vultures to your yard you might want to leave a rotting carcass in your yard and you you might attract a vulture but if you're looking to attract songbirds and other common backyard feeders you just want to stick with the things that um the things that attract them by sight so don't waste your money on the berry smelling chemical food that's low quality and filled with 75% fillers because you're just wasting your money even if it seems counterproductive or even if it seems like you're you're getting more food because you're spending less if you get the good quality food that isn't filled with fillers you're getting more food for your money and it will last longer and you'll attract a far greater species of birds and and I know you know you don't want it to be a super expensive hobby but it's sort of like anything if you if you're a bow hunter or a fisherman you can do both these things with very cheap things but you know that you really do get what you pay for so and uh bird health is also important and unlike unlike some other hobbies this is a hobby that actually keeps bird health um in mind and and you don't want to be feeding them cheap crap filled with dust and chemicals and filler stuff that they just don't want or <clears throat> aren't aren't uh made to eat so keep that in mind and uh so songbirds are always hunting and um they are they will f- instinctually seek out feeders by uh by constantly hunting and their curious nature and checking out everything so once again if you want to attract songbirds it's by sight which means you got to put up feeders in visible locations, make other things like water, flowers, different things that are going to attract these birds' curiosity and they will bring them to the yard. And if you stock feeders on your yard, keep them well stocked with fresh good food, patience is all that is required and birds will find those feeders. So that does it for today's episode. Um, Just to sort of... uh, go over what we went over we went over the seasonal birds year-round residents irregular migrants um sort of why birds do and don't migrate we went over partial migration and just as a little treat at the end um went over how birds found feeders so i hope this has been an educational episode um and and i'm gonna get into this sort of bit more detail as we as we sort of transition here from the really basic bird feeding um, information into the sort of getting into maybe a bit more advanced and uh, eventually getting into expert stuff. I want to get into 
um, some more um, specific bird stuff. And like I said, I'm going to be mostly sticking with the western birds and, and I will be getting into some overall North America birds as well. Um, however, if anyone does have any questions, this won't be the permanent email, but if you do have any questions about any specific birds or uh, bird feeding questions that you would like me to go over in, in some detail, email me at huston underscore 25 at hotmail.com and I will get those questions answered on the next podcast. And um, I think I think that's a good place to end it today. So I want to thank you again for listening. I want to ask you to subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and once again, please tell a friend. It's it's super important. This means a lot to me. I'm I'm doing everything I can to make this a better podcast. Uh, next step is some better equipment. I just want the uh, I just want a few more listeners to know that uh, I'm not spending too much money. Um, disproportionately. So once again, thanks for listening. This has been Chickity Chat with Curtis and uh, I, I appreciate you all. Goodbye.